This is the Final Round Podcast, coming to you live from the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. And now your host, Chris Marquardt. Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this edition of the Final Round Drag Racing Podcast. Excited to be back here at FingerLakes1.com studios. This is episode number 76, and it feels like episode number one. (laughs) A couple hurdles to get through tonight, but nonetheless... Uh, here we are, excited to have all the folks tuning in and watching along with us on uh, Facebook Live, which is uh, a new and going to be an omnipresent element of Final Round Drag Racing Podcast as we move forward. Eric Alexander going to be joining us on the air here to talk a little bit, up, bit about the drag racing out in, the, uh, in, in Utah, the Great Salt Lake region. I was out there for some demolition derbies in the, in the past. So oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's a real cool area out there. It's, uh, I'm anxious to hear about it because when they joke about the dry heat, yeah. It really is. I mean, like, you don't sweat there. It evaporates. So, I mean, it's got to make all sorts of challenges for making drag cars work. I guess we'll find out. So we'll, we'll be getting into that. In the, in the meantime, though, how have you been? You know, we're talking to the disembodied voice of one Jason Oldfield. He's made the trip back in, came up all the stairs all by himself, remembered where to go I with his mask, didn't encounter anyone. Did with my mask, mm-hmm. and I've been uh, very critical, but uh, <laughs> I uh, did support NHRA by buying an NHRA-branded mask. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's been good. Uh, it's been challenging, certainly. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been a weird 2020 for sure, but at this point we're back up and running, I think. And overall we got uh, racing going finally, and I will say this weekend you got the big $1.1 million race, uh, SFG race going on right now uh, up in Martin, Michigan. And uh, um, I don't know about today, but I think Tuesday – Monday or Tuesday, they had 700 cars for the 20,000 to win wow. race, and then they had a pair of 100,000s, and then the $1.1 million race. So people are definitely interested and excited about going back out and going racing again. Uh, so, yeah, things are good. It sure is. It sure is. So uh, we've got some, some guests with us tonight. We sure do appreciate Eric making the trip in to, to hang out with us here remotely and, and enduring the challenges here. And welcome to the show. We do appreciate you making some time for us man how are you i'm doing great thanks thanks for having me on your show absolutely so so we have a bunch of different things to get to um i saw that you were enjoying a little bit of relaxation time away from the daily grind and got out with a car here not too long ago what what did you take out where did you go and how did it work you know what we have got a we got a bad connection i don't know if I'm, i can hardly hear you um, I'll work on that. You just go ahead. We're asking about we're asking about where you went. How's things going? Come on. Okay. Can you can you hear us, Eric? I can hear you, but it's really saturated. So I'm trying to sort it all out. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Uh, so Chris was asking. Uh, he saw that you you got the dragster. Uh, you got out uh, recently. So you know where where is your home track? Well, we have got the strangest thing in the world, uh, and we all know how many closed drag strips, uh, how many drag strips have closed around the uh, the United States over the last three or four decades. It's a lot, but uh, yeah, our local NHRA track, uh, Rocky Mountain Raceway, closed a year and a half ago, and that was that. And there is uh, uh, technically there's not a drag strip in Utah, and uh, so we have had to resort to. Um, a uh, track in Idaho and a track in Wyoming, uh, both are eight-mile tracks, outlaw tracks, um, 
and that's how we've got our fix. And then, of course, the, the coronavirus came along, and that really uh, put a wrench in things for everyone. Yeah, that's, uh, I will say, so Rocky Mountain Raceway, so well, I guess you said you were racing in Idaho. How far is, is that the closest track now for you? Um, well, actually, the Hypoxia racetrack in Evanston, Wyoming, is the closest, and uh, it's just a small track. But boy, we have a lot of fun there. Um, it's a lot of fun. But the uh, the the best one that's near us is is uh, Sage Raceway, and um, that's in Idaho Falls. Now, southern Southern Idaho. Now, it's funny because, you know, so Rocky Mountain Raceway I have heard of. I've never been out west and raced out west myself. So I've heard of Rocky Mountain Raceway. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't sure that I wasn't aware that they had closed. Um, so from your location now, when you want to go racing, I mean, how far of a haul do you have to pack the stuff up and go racing? It's uh, three hours. Oh. We've got Grand, Grand Junction, and uh, Grand Junction's a three-hour drive, um, and Sage Raceway's a three-hour drive. And, of course, La- Las Vegas is a five-hour drive, and that's uh, certainly the best route to go. Yeah, I would say because, yeah, overall, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, Wyoming, wh- well, when I think of Utah, I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, Wyoming is – super far away but i don't think as wyoming being around the corner uh um i guess i would have guessed that idaho was a little closer but uh, yeah when you said that you know those are your closest tracks it's like man i think you know you probably got a haul at at this point and three hours is uh definitely showing some dedication if you're going to go racing and you got at least a three-hour drive yeah it is and it's uh i gotta say i think it's frustrating you know i talked with the people that manage the track and there's 600 there's 600 nhra registered um, drag racers in Utah, and some reason we can't figure out how to get a racetrack. It's uh, sad commentary. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you know it's a it's a problem that, like you had mentioned, is you know kind of plagues the entire country. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen the news that uh, you know historic Atco Dragway out here on the East Coast, out in New Jersey, is uh, has been sold, and it looks like is going to be repurposed as an auto auction and. Um, first, yeah. it was English Town a couple of years ago, and uh, and now Echo. So, you know, we have similar problems out here as well. That uh, yeah, we have you know tracks kind of closing left and right, whether it's you know due to housing or or, or whatnot. So I can certainly okay. empathize with the situation. Um, we're we're pretty lucky at the moment. We uh, our local track out here is Empire Dragway, and uh, Jerry Scacia bought the track. Uh, I want to say it was probably five years ago at this point, and uh, he's just. He's all in. He's done a fantastic job. He's put a ton of money in it. And, uh, yeah, thankfully, uh, you know, we've had a bunch of people go out and, and support the track, too, from an attendance standpoint. So I got my fingers crossed, and I'm, I'm knocking on wood here that uh, we don't run across this problem uh, anytime soon uh, in western New York. We're kind of spoiled, you know, when you think about it. Yeah. Where well, we're... what happened here, it's, uh, it's just classic. You know, uh, 30 years ago, the racetrack was in the middle of nowhere, and then – um, it steadily got developed and encroached upon and encroached upon more and more. And then all of a sudden it was noise pollution and, oh, we can't have this anymore. And it's just, uh, you know, the, the rules reversed and uh, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. We're, we were spoiled and, and we still are really. From where we sit right now, you can be at three different drag strips within 
an hour and a half. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and at one point it was four back when Spencer was running. That's right. And it's not that far of a haul, relatively speaking, to Lebanon Valley. That's right. And I don't think it's I don't think it's anywhere near three hours. And we used to have a drag strip at Fulton, and I think there was one at Utica Home Speedway too, back when it was New Venture or something before that. So, right, right. So our area was pretty saturated. And I think didn't Buffalo have a track too? So we obviously have Lancaster, right? Uh, you had Niagara Dragway uh, back in the seventies. Canandaigua, I had found out that Canandaigua actually had a drag strip at, really? at yeah at one point in time too. Um, so yeah, like I said, I mean, at the height of the sport, let's call it in the late '60s, early '70s, yeah, this area was certainly saturated with tracks. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, if you're in, I mean, even if you want to go across the border into Canada, I mean, you have Toronto Motorsports Park that oh, is South Butler. Um, South Butler's yeah, you have South, fifteen minutes from right, there. right. Um, so yeah, we we still have a bunch of tracks around here. Now we don't have any of the palaces. So yeah, I mean those guys down in uh, in in the Jersey Philly area. I mean they were really spoiled for a while because they had Echo, Englishtown, Cecil County, Maple Grove, and I'm forgetting one. Basically all within an hour's drive of each other, wow. um, and they all had huge programs to be able to support it. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what's gone on. But, uh, yeah, just over the last few years, I mean, Maple Grove was for sale as well. So, uh, honestly, Maple Grove is not on super steady ground either. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if five years from now, if you went from that ridiculous uh, amount of great tracks down to basically just Cecil County. Um, and I don't know why that is, if it's just because of the fact that track owners can't make the money to support them or if it's because they are like hey the the property's so valuable it's better i'm better off to sell and just take my big wad of cash and go someplace i don't know right. um but it's uh yeah we're like i said we are pretty lucky out here but uh um so i, I will uh eric's tail is not not new either a number of the motorsport enthusiasts that i've talked to out in that area, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, the the Dakotas, you're traveling a ways to get where you're going to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had Jeff Jackson on the show who's up in Oregon, and I forget what his local track is. So he's got one track that's fairly close to him, but his next closest track is, I'll say, three-plus hours away. And then when he does the NHRA, you know, racing, going to division events and stuff like that, I think his closest race was, like, eight hours away or something like that it was something ridiculous um so i guess that's uh, i guess that's what you get for living in a beautiful part of the country uh, eric you have to uh sacrifice and be willing to get in your car and drive well it is it's beautiful out here that's for sure i wished i was closer to a lot of tracks but uh we we really like it out here you know i'm just as i'm as i'm following you i'm thinking as as a business owner myself i have and of course when the drag strip closes, you start putting your your brain to work, and uh, I don't know how. I, I well, my guess is every person that owns an NHRA track's uh, not making money hand over fist. Um, maybe the biggest venues, and that's probably it. I think if you're going to own a racetrack, you're doing it because you love it. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I completely agree, and that's a situation that we have out here with uh, the owner of Empire Dragway. Is that he was an ex-drag racer himself, um, and uh, you know, basically, he had a repair shop and very successful business person, but decided that hey, you know what, I'm going to sell basically all my businesses and my race cars, and uh, I'm going to buy a drag strip. And now that I'm, I don't know how old Jerry is. Uh, well, uh, 
let's say he's mature. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this has become kind of his his hobby and and retirement, if you will. And yeah, he's doing it because he loves it, uh, just like you said. Um, now you had mentioned, and you know, at this point, we haven't even really kind of touched on on you personally at all. And uh, you know, you just mentioned that you know you're a business owner as well. And I was telling Chris kind of the funny story um, about how I came to know you. And uh-huh. so, you know, the, the short story for, for our viewers out there is that I was looking for a set of speakers for myself uh, to replace the existing set of speakers that I have at my home. And um, upon doing some research, uh, you know, for some audiophile sites and stuff like that, I see, you know, this brand Tecton design, which I really didn't know, um, and just get glowing reviews. And uh, so I start doing my research and going to Tecton Design website. And uh, I see this video with this guy, and the preview of the video is you, Eric, standing in front of a table with a set of cylinder heads. And I'm like, that looks like a (laughs) set of cylinder heads, and that looks like a set of like aftermarket high-performance cylinder heads. They don't look like stock cylinder heads. I'm like, what is this all about? Um, So watch the video, and I'm sure that you are familiar with it. Uh, but, I mean, you were basically making the analogy that a set of speakers is much like, a, you know, basically pistons in an engine, that it, it comes down to airflow. I mean, speaker cones basically are pushing air. That's how they create sound, right? The, absolutely. And it's the, the backstory to this is, uh, is, uh, is funny because as a child i i just wanted to build racing engines that's all i wanted to do was build racing engines and and now while i'm in uh electroacoustical physics and but i still work with pistons every day uh, every, i i did today uh put in a full 8 hours at work and uh love to design this stuff and, and there came a point in my um in my mid 20s when i really had to decide what uh, what i'm going to do i owned a super comp car and uh, owned a owned a small business, and I just had to make the decision. I, I felt like um, I had less this was, I had less competition designing loudspeakers than uh, <laughs> trying to make uh, outrageous racing engines. And how and did you get uh, how did you get involved in the sport, and I guess in racing engines to begin with? Well, knowing that this interview was coming up, I started reflecting on that, and uh, I got to tell you, my father bought me. You know, we're, I'm 54, and uh, so in the uh, mid 70s, I'm like eight, nine years old. My father bought me one of those um, uh, visible, the see-through V8 models, oh, the, yeah. the little rebel. Yep, the visible V8. Yeah. And uh, man, I put that thing together, and um, uh, I. I I, I don't know. I've always been able to visualize physics. I've got a number of patents, and just uh, that stuff just came natural to me. I uh, there's other things that I'm a total idiot at, but boy, I visualize physics, and I understood instantly how how this stuff worked, and uh, just took off and ran with it. And I was building my own engines at a high school and just out of high school age, and fell in love with it. That's uh, that's super cool. So nobody prior to you and your family had any, uh, I guess, experience or uh, with racing or, or high performance. No, not no, not really. But I was okay. So you you hit, you touched on a few things when when I, I watched a really great video on Indy from the late 1960s, and in 1969 or 1970, 
um, more people attended the drag races at Indy than they did the Indy 500. Drag right. racing was the biggest thing in, in the biggest motorsports in the United States right. in 1969 and 1970. And lucky for me, my best friend as a child, his dad was an auto mechanic and he lived about seven houses from me. And uh, they went to the drags all the time. And so I, as a kid, I had to figure out what what's this whole drags thing and what's this all about. So racing really wasn't in my family, but boy, uh, my brothers and I, <laughs> we lived it as as teenagers and in our 20s. We uh, we lived that. So at this point, how long have you been racing now yourself? Well, I took a I had to take a long break. I ended up selling that car. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll share a few things with you. Um, I'm not so much um, keen on and interested in j- just going super fast and being a driver. My my passion all along has been um, twofold, uh, to build the engines and to be a good steward. Um, we've got a couple of, I've got five dragsters and they're all considered to be vintage, uh, vintage cars. I've got a, an old Woody Gilmore coming together. Um, eventually I'll get to it. I haven't, uh, we just purchased it about two years ago and, um, <clears throat> and, and I've got another, uh, uh, front engine dragster from the 60s that uh, somebody built by hand. We haven't figured out who who, who built that one, but uh, so that's been my that's been my love. And of course, um, with my career in audio, I I had to walk away from it. So I've always followed drag racing, always loved drag racing. But uh, it wasn't until the business really got successful that I could go out and do what I wanted to do. And so for me, again, I. I, I want to continue to um, find some of these old cars. Um, the the slingshot that that we've been racing, I pulled that thing out of the graveyard. You know, it was uh, <laughs> it was in sad shape, and I got about halfway into it, and I I was in over my head. I just I felt like I had spent too much money on it, and uh, questioned my sanity a few times. But <laughs> then after we made a, after we made a few passes in it, and it's. Uh, it's it's been pretty exciting. It's been a fun a fun little project. On the topic of vintage cars, the the dirty thirty went down during our break, our time away. No, it did, didn't it? The, uh, the oh yes, yes, right? yes, then, it did. Yep, uh, yeah, he crashed. Oh God, uh, he was at. I forget what track he was at, but you know, you know, it's, this is the unfortunate thing. It's and this is a this is uh, one of the guys that uh, we've had on the show, uh, uh, Eric, and you know, he races the no prep style race, and uh, the the car is a thirty. It was a thirty Plymouth, I think. I can't remember. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember now. But an original Nick steel body. Car. 30 i think it was a 30 plymouth and uh you know they was at the at a no prep race and you know lost traction and lost control of the car and crashed and yeah the unfortunate thing is that uh, i'm not sure what happened at the end of the track i haven't actually talked to talked to him to find out um but uh caught fire at the end of the track and thankfully he was able to get out with only minor burns i think to his hands um, but yeah, the car was then a blazing inferno. So yeah, I I totally forgotten about that. Uh, yeah, and, and so he was about to buy two cars down in Alabama to replace it. They were gonna get a, get a new his and her project set. Uh huh. Um, and 
he went to get them, and the cars were gone, basically. The guy sold them out from uh-huh. there, and it was unfortunate. So last I knew, he was looking for – Nick was still looking for uh, a new set of wheels. I don't know where he's at in his hunt at this point, but he wants to get another old project like that. I was I was heartbroken when I saw those pictures. First, I, I was thankful that he was all right. You know, all things considered, he was yeah. okay. Yeah, Some burns to his hands and some ma- pretty major bruises to, uh, right. to, the, to the psyche losing a car like that because – it's not like you can just go get another one. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and I know Nick. He's undaunted. I, I know Nick Pluniak is, is the guy's name, Eric. And I know, so his first vehicle was, uh, well, I won't, I won't say it's his first, but his previous vehicle to the Dirty 30 was what was called the stretchy truck. And it was uh, an S10 that had a ridiculously long stretched wheelbase with a turbocharged motor in the bed. Um, so it was a mid-engine S10. Um, but, yeah, it got garnered a lot of attention because it was just such a unique piece. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he crashed that car at Lancaster and then built the Dirty 30. And that car started going pretty fast. He liked to do the hot rod power tour and those types of things. So, I mean, the thing was you know completely street legal. That's the crazy thing, too, is that these things are yeah. just so fast these days and street legal. And uh, I know Nick had been looking potentially, you know, the problem with the Dirty Thirty is that it's a it was a brick from a from from an aerodynamic <laughs> standpoint, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and you're you know you're definitely fighting that. And as a as a race car driver, and you know let's call it fabricator and engineer, right? You're always looking to improve your performance and go faster and, and make improvements. And he really felt like the the truck uh, or the the Dirty Thirty was was holding him back but it was such a unique piece and people loved it including myself i actually got the the pleasure of racing against him a couple of times um just in time runs and uh i loved that and and never told nick um but secretly wished that he would never sell that that uh, that vehicle because i thought it was fantastic and the really cool thing is that it seems like now for his next project he is definitely looking for something unique um, so it will be another throwback vehicle, I believe, from the 30s to probably early 60s vintage that he's going to make into into a cool into a cool car. And I give Nick a lot of credit because uh, you know, like yourself, Eric, he does it all on his own. I mean, he, he, and I'm not saying he doesn't get help from people, but I mean, he builds the chassis, does all the fabrication work, builds the engines, everything he does on by himself. And uh, uh, those are the types of people that I that I really really respect. Um, so hopefully Nick will be back out, uh, shortly, but, um, getting back, uh, I guess to, to your current stable of race cars. Uh, so the, the front engine dragster, I mean, how did you, was this the first car that you bought when you decided to get back into the sport? It was my brother and I, I had just, uh, we had talked for years about finding, uh, some vintage car. And I, I question, I, I question my sanity more than anything, because I think my biggest goal over the years was to just build a, a, a really nice super comp car again, something that was very competitive and, and consistent. But, uh, um, I don't know, as I got older, it was just something that I just, um, I just really, you know, ultimately some of this stuff I, I plan on restoring, um, and popping it in a museum somewhere. Yep. And, uh, We've got uh, we got a few unique old cars that that's really where they belong to be belong belong, you know you um, you talk about these these wrecks you know, I'd be I'd be sick if uh, <laughs> if if one of us ever crashed any of these cars and and uh, of course we don't want anybody to get hurt but uh, putting it back together from being crashed is uh, something I just uh, 
don't even want to think about. Well, and and I can again completely identify with that. So I don't know how much we talked about the you know my car. So I I, I race one guy's car, Phil Herndon. I drive his super gas Camaro. Um, my yep. car, the car that I own, is a '63 Corvette. It's an original '63 Corvette that right. my dad bought in 1964. Um, and me and my dad spent a lot of time. My dad's no longer with us, and me and my dad spent a lot of time in the garage working on that car, and I would be heartbroken if anything ever happened to it. Now, it's one of those things that every racer knows. Every time you go down the track, something could happen. You just never know. Um, but, yeah, it's something that I also don't spend a lot of time dwelling upon because uh, if I did, I'd probably never take the gar- car out of the garage. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can I can totally understand where you're coming from from that standpoint. Um, and when you put so much work into a into a car to to get it up and running, I mean, <sighs> it's just, it, it's got to stay for life right now as a spare shelving unit in your garage right <laughs> on the hood. Then it's never going to get hurt going on a racetrack. Right? right now, it uh, <laughs> right now actually, I think the only thing that's stored on top of it is one empty cardboard box. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and the only reason why the cardboard box is there is because my son uh, bought the house across the street and he's uh, moving into it uh, at the end of the month. So I haven't thrown that box out because I'm fear he's going to need it when he when he moves. But uh, yeah, so the Corvette hasn't been bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's also sitting on jack stands underneath covers. Uh, crying at me every time i open the garage door saying please jason take me out to the racetrack Uh, fix me fix me so other than the front engine dragster that that you have now that car what does that have for a power plant in it you know it's a small block chevy alcohol small block chevy which is perfect i i love that combination uh well yeah it originally had a, a big block chevy and a fuel injected uh, alcohol big block Chevy and so at some point and see that's then <clears throat> uh, how do I say this um, I could have went that route yeah but I think this car the, the car would scare the hell out of me um, <laughs> I, I this this car is is squirrely and does not want to leave straight um, it's 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 terribly inconsistent it's just but it's but it's fun, you know. We've 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 watched people in the stands. We pull up and um, do the burnout, and and people clap because it's that you don't see a lot of those anymore. And it's interesting to hear old timers' comments and and things about that car. But uh, so when we restore it completely, restore it, it would be great to take it back to where it should be in the a big block Chevy, fuel injected. Sure. Yeah, and you know, again, uh, I will say I can identify. So you'd mentioned, you know, that you're an older guy, and as you got uh, older, you know, uh, you know, business became successful. That's when you kind of got back into racing. But uh, you know, your pers- your perspective, uh, it's not just in racing, but in life, kind of changes as you get older. And yeah. when I was a kid and my dad was racing the car, so uh, my dad drove, it was a small block five-speed for the longest time. And we only switched to an automatic finally near the end of my dad's life when we completely blew up the five-speed and we, we had to make a change. And it became so much work, we decided, okay, you know what, we're going to put an automatic in the car. So last few years of his life, he ran the car with a small block and a power glide in it like everybody else did out at the racetrack. Now that I'm almost 50 years old 
I can look back and I realize, you know what? I understand why my dad ran the five-speed all those years and didn't want to let it go. It was because there was more to going to the racetrack than just winning. And he loved driving that car and and having a unique piece that people would talk about. Um, It wasn't just another big i mean we used to joke i mean it wasn't just another big block power glide car out at the racetrack and i mean obviously in super gas i mean that's the dominant combination if you want to be competitive in in super comp or super gas it's like you have a big block and a power glide um in a bel air in a bel air well i guess you could i mean (laughs) but yeah i mean in back in the 70s it was you know 68 to 68 and 69 camaros right boring it's like here comes another 68 69 camaro how many are are there out at the racetrack there was thousands of them for god's sakes um but yeah so i i totally get it it's uh i I, yeah do i want to win when i go out the racetrack absolutely do i when i pull up the staging beams am i going to try and cut the best light and just destroy the guy in the lane next to me yep 100 percent but I go out to the racetrack to have fun. That's first and foremost. And when I stop having fun, that's when I'm going to stop going to the racetrack, um, winning or not. I mean, it. I mean, unfortunately, sportsman racing doesn't. Well, unless you're at the SFG 1.1 million dollar race this weekend, sportsman racing doesn't pay enough money to support yourself. So you're going to have to have a job. And if I'm doing this as a hobby and for fun, well, it better be fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I totally, yeah, I, yeah, everybody's, I, I mean, where we go, I mean, it's like, we're all friends. I mean, it, you get there and it's, uh, you're with people that are like-minded and same hobbies and, uh, and, uh, and that's really enjoyable. When you talk about a restoration on that car, what is the restoration? Is it, is it some sort of combination between modern and period are you going back to original or what's the plan with the resto on that well you know what i'm gonna i want to change gears i'm gonna tell you about a car that i got going together right now that's kind of a fun car um so we i've got this um 1987 um top fuel car that was um built by virgil hartman and it's such a unique car so visualize what top fuel looked like in 87 and that's what this thing is but the thing that's so unique about it is the guy that i bought it from and it came out of uh uh, winslow arizona and i can't remember the guy's name great guy but uh he he had virgil hartman build him this car build him this chassis and the car literally set for 25 years and uh, he never did anything with it. He turned 50, and, his, and the story he told me, he says, I turned 50, and my wife came to me and said, are you ever going to do anything with that car? And so he, uh, he put a big block Chevy, a, a, an alcohol-injected uh, big block Chevy in it, and went racing. But uh, I think he got bit by the bug because then he ended up buying a, a newer, much more modern car. And uh, so I, I found the car and, and bought it. And it has 30 lifetime passes on it. I've got a car that's built in 1987. And I tell you, the thing is like brand new. It's it, the components, everything on it. It's, it's kind of a time machine. And uh, so ultimately, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but, but uh, it, sure is a, it sure is a fun car. And then um, Dave Storling, um, the popular hot rodding, uh, the engine master uh, guru yep. 
he's got yep we got a big block chevy from him and uh this car's going to run. It's going to be great. So that's what's coming together now. And if it wasn't for coronavirus, I would have just finished the car. But uh, business has just had me hopping at manufacturing speakers. So I haven't had any time to spend on it. But that's the car that I'm excited about right now. I would say, uh, so Virgil Hartman, for those that uh, those people that don't know, so Virgil is the father of Richard Hartman. Um so, and I think last I knew, I believe he was crew chief for one of the top fuel teams, uh, might've been Terry McMillan. Uh, um, so Richard has a pretty storied top fuel career. Um, so, and you know, my guess is, I mean, Richard's gotta be at least my age and I'm sure he's probably got kids that are probably running in super comp or something like that now too. Uh, um, so yeah, certainly a storied family, drag racing family there from that standpoint. Uh, um, now, do these? Do you keep all of these? Uh, all of these cars? Well, so now we talked about two cars. So there's the slingshot, and there's the, then there's the top Bueller. Now, what are the other three cars that you have? Um, they're they're former super comp cars. I've got a '92 Ed Quay Super Dragster, and uh, oh my gosh! Of course, the Woody car. That's the one that's uh, just sitting. Um, <laughs> I guess it's aging like a fine wine. Uh, that one's going to take some work to get back to where it needs to be, but it's all there and it's a great little car and it's going to be fun. Um, and and uh, and then we've got another uh, super comp car that's very. I can't remember the the chassis um, brand, the, the the builder, but uh, it's it's very much like the Ed Quay car. So those are going to be, like I said, I mean, they're super comp style dragsters. Those are going to be uh, fun cars to take out, uh, go bracket race, uh, maybe go run super comp once in a while type of thing. But that's the plan, I'm, I'm assuming, for those, right? Nothing nothing totally well, special. The, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a back motive to all this, too, is I have three sons um, that uh, reside in Washington State, not in Utah. So um, hopefully here before long, they'll be with me and... Um, We'll all go racing, and we'll all have a car. That's one of the uh, that's one of the ultimate goals. I was saying the old man's going to drive the top fuel car. I'm assuming. I don't want to go fast. <laughs> I, I, I seriously do not want to go fast. I, you know, it's it's. Uh, I, I just I don't I don't want to go fast. I don't know who's going to drive it. <laughs> well, I, I, and you know, again, it's it's funny. I so my kids, uh, my my daughter just turned seventeen. My son's going to be sixteen here in a couple of weeks, and my daughter at one point showed some interest in racing, but uh, my son never really has. Whether I, either of them will really ever get into it, I don't know. But you know, racing with my dad, I always had fun. Let's call it being the crew chief, and uh, even though he was driving, it was fun just being out there with him, even though. I wasn't driving, and uh, I could totally see myself today if one of my kids was really interested, stepping aside and and gladly allowing them to take the seat and going back to just the crew chief. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I'm I'll maintain the car, I'll take care of it, and do all the rest of that, and uh, you know, be the coach, if you will. And uh, you know, I think that for me is uh i think it's part of the engineer in me that uh is always looking for you know ultimate performance if you will so i could totally see you know your three boys coming down and uh you kind of taking that role as well that's the hope we'll see what happens (laughs) 
<laughs> now you had mentioned uh, so you had mentioned so I mean people don't know most people I'm guessing most viewers that that we have probably don't know you personally or or, or your 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 professional history um, I, I told Chris you know before we went on the air that you know you're you're kind of a big deal in the audiophile world Um you know, I think uh, you know you've been interviewed by you know all the big magazines and everybody else out there, um, and, and you know I find it uh, interesting. You had said, I thought I just heard you say that you've been so busy with coronavirus building speakers. Yeah, it uh, it's the opposite of um, just visualize a bunch of audiophiles, uh, music lovers. Uh, now this is a male-dominated sport, um, quite a bit like. Uh, drag racing um but uh um a bunch of men bored that listen to music all day long (laughs) at home with a stimulus check (laughs) it's we we have uh we have been very busy and um yeah you know it's 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 the strangest thing i've taken this drag racing attitude um and really cross-platformed it a lot of the way that engine building is done. And, you know, uh, I think about top fuel and, um, and funny car and pro stock, you know, uh, these <clears throat> it's that slight edge. It's, uh, you know what I mean? Of course there's, there's, a, um, there's a driver involved, but that when the car, uh, you watch some of these, some of these teams that win, um, for years and years or f- for a solid, um, season, and they've definitely got kind of a slight edge, and that's kind of been the attitude that uh, we design our our audio products with: is that we want to make really cool man products, and we want them to perform. Uh, I mean, uh, most unless you're an audiophile, most men are going to go to a Best Buy or a, right. a, a uh, yeah a Costco and buy an audio product or or Crutchfield online or something like that, but. Uh, we want to take it far beyond that and make really high performance audio products. And that's what we do. And yeah, we've got clients that are, uh, you'd know the most, some of the most famous uh, music lovers and musicians, and uh, we've got quite a list of clients. And so it's, it's been, um, it's, it's something that I just truly love to do. I really love uh, music and, and making uh, high performance loudspeakers. Yeah, and I will say, uh, you know, from a speaker standpoint, uh, overall, you know, this is, um, you know, the thing that I think I've seen over and over again, and it's a different level. I mean, it's, I guess, from a drag racing standpoint, I'll, I'll say, you know, the Super Gas is the, you know, the Crutchfield Best Buy speaker of the world, right? I mean, we're, we're definitely moving into the Comp Eliminator or Pro Stock type of category here. But when you look at the performance of the speakers that you guys build, the one thing that I have heard kind of over and over again is that really for the performance that you get, the value that Tecton delivers is really incredible. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that to me was really something that really kind of, I guess, brought me to Tecton to begin with was the fact that, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to be spending yeah, potentially more money than I would for a home theater in a box from Best Buy. Um, but when you look at the performance that I'm getting for the money that I'm spending, that's something that has really, that you guys have really delivered on. And the other thing I will say that's incredible to me, um, and it's completely new to me, I guess I, 
I don't necessarily consider myself to be an audiophile, if you will. I mean, I I really do enjoy uh, home theater audio, um, and I always wanted to have a little bit better performance, but you are a custom speaker, designer, and builder. So yes, you have your standard models, but um, when we talked, I, I couldn't believe that uh, you know, you're saying to me, well, what color do you want? Well, you can have any color you want. Just pick out your paint and uh, let us know, and we'll paint them that color. I'm like, what? I can have any color I want? Um, so that's just, that, yeah. that, that's a totally different, I guess, mindset that I'm used to. We're the uh, we're the monster garage of audio. That's I've I've said that for ten years. You know, Adam Lambert. He's one of our clients, and everybody probably knows who Adam Lambert is. But he's got a pair of speakers of uh, in his living room, and he um, he he designed what he wanted, and we put that together. He changed his mind. We built it again, and uh, he's got a one-off pair. So, yeah, we've done this hundreds and hundreds. I've got 183 SKUs. So. Um, that's just what my team can build from, and that's. Uh, but so we've got something that's just right for for pretty much anybody. What uh, you know, a lot of this stuff ends up in studios or a music component, uh, a music composer's uh, house, or who knows where. But um, it's uh, pretty specialized gear. There comes a point, um, and maybe it's uh, here's another close parallel with motorsports and the car you're going to drive to work in um there's there's a loudspeaker that's or a headphone that's uh, a consumer audio product but then there's also a loudspeaker that's a tool for a man's toolbox and it's his profession and uh, he needs an accurate loudspeaker that performs and uh, that's one of the bases that we cover yeah, and I will say that uh, you know the that's one of the speakers that uh, you know I'm personally looking at as the lore reference, and I, I watched a video that you made about that speaker when when you kind of came up with it was that uh, you know you wanted something that was going to be a little bit more accurate, and that's kind of why you uh, you know you came up with the lore reference compared to the to the standard lore uh, line. Um, you know, there's some really interesting technology, like you had mentioned that uh, you know you, you have a bunch of different patents, but at the same point in time that you're designing these. Um, the one day that I called to talk to you, kind of to get your recommendations about what you thought I should do, and uh, um, I don't know, I forget the receptionist's name that I spoke with, but she's like, yeah, Eric is uh, back in the paint booth right now. Uh, could he call you back later? So, I mean, you're back there uh, still painting speakers as well. I am, Yeah, I'm one of those guys. I am up to my elbows in it. Uh, Marcy, my wife, was there this afternoon and taking care of things, and uh yeah, I'm not at the pool um, drinking lemonade and eating bonbons. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on this stuff. <laughs> so when it comes to when it comes to the race cars, uh, do you do all the body work and, and paint on those as well? Well, the one thing I don't do, and I guess I could figure it out if I ever had enough time, is weld. So I've got a brother that uh, does the uh, the MIG and the TIG weld, but beyond that, of course, I can paint. I, you know, that's there's a funny side story too, is that uh, when you when you when you're an audio engineer and a speaker designer and uh, you want to sell your products, of course, our stuff's made in America, and that's something that your audience should should be aware of too, is that uh, we do this and it is American made and yeah, we're patriotic and um, and uh, we don't uh, we don't hide it. And um, 
I lost my train of thought. Well, I was, I was, as you're talking about being patriotic, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I wonder if I could have you do like a custom American flag paint job on my uh, speakers. <laughs> We'd have, oh, oh, I was, I, I remember what we were talking. That'd be a vinyl wrap, by the way, and uh, we don't do that very often. But that's that's the only way that's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, so so you know, I started designing this stuff and 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 got recognized uh, in certain circles about how good this stuff sounded and and of course um, I had to figure out how to paint and luckily I, I was around auto body a lot when I was younger and have still today some great friends in the auto body world that, that are very very good at what they do and um, you know I, I can't help but think about um, some of the you know the autorama type finishes the the, the foose the kindigs yeah. the, the really beautiful stuff you know and and that's another element of what we what we try and accomplish is we've we've put on Ferrari colors and Rolls Royce colors and Lamborghini colors and and it really is a cool man product and um, so uh, it's while um, it's not a car it's uh, it's finished very very much like a car. Have you had any technology crossover from one to the other? Have you used anything yeah, from drag know, racing and tried it in, in, in loudspeaker design or, or vice versa? Absolutely. Two things. If you look at the 1812, you'll immediately see that um, it, uh, it resembles a 12-cylinder engine, and it works incredibly well. That speaker plays to 143 dB for the pair, uncompressed, undistorted. Wow. You know, a guy could go to Bon Jovi or uh, Rush or whatever their favorite band is one night and literally drive home and have the same experience in their house. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's patented and it real, the technology really works. There's other elements. And so there, there are, um, what we do with loudspeakers and what we do with engines and breathing and, you know, engines have just, it, yeah, you can build a big block Chevy and get 1200 horsepower out of it with one hand tied behind your back. And sure. two or three decades ago, that was a pretty tall order. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, there are some amazing parallels, uh, fascinating parallels to me. And I think that's one reason why I've really, um, gotten, uh, so, so interested in, in getting back into engine building and drag racing and, 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 uh, because there are some real fascinating parallels where I, I, it's nothing I can talk about, but uh, of course we're working on some patents right now in real time that are very much related to how engines function and, and they're going to produce sound. That's, uh, <laughs> I would say that is super cool. Did you ever, uh, uh, I guess, you know, it, it's not really required anymore. I mean, I think, you know, the rules still apply, um, but did you ever, when you know NHRA kind of started with the whole muffler thing, were were you involved with the sport at all? I'm I'm one, Did you ever get involved with any of the sound deadening? I mean, I would have to assume that if you want to be able to create sound, yeah, that you also would know how to deaden sound at the same point in time. Yeah, you know the thing that comes to my mind. I will tell you that I have. Um, I have traveled to national events on purpose, intentionally, with my um, with my audio uh, engineering hat on, just to experience um, 
and not only experience, but to pay really, really close attention to the top fuel cars and uh, and the funny cars, and <clears throat> the the intensity and uh, and and so I, how am I trying? I I'm losing my I'm losing my uh, I'm not a <laughs> I'm not the slickest talker. Let's just say that. But <laughs> but if if um you know if you think about the the audio experience of of top fuel and funny car that has uh, inspired me as much or more than anything else has in the way of producing the sound that we produce with our loudspeakers yeah i mean i will say that uh you know i think it's fox that has their you know crank it up you know during the nascar races and uh you know, it's uh, it's cool that they, uh, I guess, boost the volume and, uh, you know, basically stop talking and, and let you kind of enjoy uh, it. It still doesn't totally capture the real experience that you would get. And uh, I tell everybody, you know, whether you're a drag racing fan or not, everybody on the planet should experience watching a set of top fuel dragsters go down the track at least once um because the first time that you go and experience that it will take your breath away it's unbelievable and uh i would love to i have to say uh, my neighbors probably wouldn't like it but i would love to be able to recreate that in my house <laughs> actually my wife well, wouldn't even like that either i have to say that uh, i don't necessarily you know, want to recreate that but we want to understand the physics behind that you remind me of a really funny experience that i had is one of the audio engineers that i worked with for a few years i kept telling him about these cars and he just would brush it off and of course he uh he we did a we did an audio project on a formula one track um, you know, the, the distributed audio, the speakers that go around the track. We yep. were, we were involved in a formula one track and I'm like, you got to hear these cars. You got to, you got to hear these cars. You know, you've chosen to make this career and this living out of audio and you've never heard anything like this. And for, you know, for the first, for the first few weeks and months that I would plant the seed and Hey, let's just jump on a plane and go to Las Vegas. I, I could tell he just wasn't taking me serious. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, we, it was, it was queued up so well because uh, yeah, we flew to Las Vegas and we got on the track and the first funny cars that came out, he was absolutely dumbfounded, could not wrap his brain around it. He, and of course, I mean, here's, this is an audio physics guy, you know? Right. And so, I mean, he could not wrap his brain around it. He, the words out of his mouth, he's like, Eric, this is this is space time continuum. This is uh, this is beyond audio. <laughs> yeah, I would say when you when you really get into all the statistics that go behind a set of fuel cars, or just you know a fuel car in general, as far as you know what how how quickly it accelerates. You know, for for the people that aren't, I guess, into drag racing. I mean, the way that I explain it to them now is that you know really. You know, they go zero to 330 miles an hour in 3.8 seconds. And, you know, most people know they're zero to 60 times, and they know that a zero to 60 time of 3.8 seconds is is considered a fast car. I mean, these cars are going 330 miles an hour. Um, it's it's really incredible, the, the physics behind it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the whole experience, I will say that the, the two things that I remember, well, three things, I guess, in general that I remember seeing that were just incredible to me. Um, 
Yeah, obviously my first set of fuel cars ever was incredible. Um, seeing a rocket car, which they don't run anymore, but I was a little kid when they still ran rocket cars, and seeing a rocket car was unbelievable. Um, and seeing the space shuttle. Those were the three things that uh, made an indelible mark on my memory. It was like, that was absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. You saw a space shuttle launch? I saw a space shuttle launch. Yes, I did. Really? What uh, was that? Oh, God. Uh, so I'm going to say 85-ish. The funny thing is about the about space launches is that obviously they have very finite windows as to when these can take place. So my family had scheduled a vacation to take us kids to Disney World. We fly down there, and when we get down there, there's signs. It's like, oh, shuttle, to, you know, to shuttle, meaning a bus, you know, go see the space shuttle take off. And it's like, well, geez, when was that? Did we just miss that or something? And it's like, no, it's coming up in a couple of days. We figured that everybody who was here was here to see the space shuttle. And it's like, no. Um, so last second, we made plans to go to Cape Canaveral and see the space shuttle. And it took off, you know, right on schedule like it was supposed to. And uh, I'll tell you what, when they say we're liftoff, is, it was, I think we were there in October. It was, it was early in the morning. It was dark. It lit the sky like the sun came up. It was incredible. And... When they say that it, you know, liftoff is at 7-Eleven, it is at 7-Eleven, not 7-12, not, you know, around, kind of, and we had people that drove up afterwards, they're like, yeah, okay, where is it? It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you missed it, it's gone, <laughs> they're not waiting, um, but yeah, it was incredible, I would love to see, obviously you can't see the space shuttle, but I would love to see some of the modern rockets uh, take off, but I mean, it's total luck, because so many times the launches get scrubbed because of weather or technical problems or whatever else, and we just totally lucked out that everything was perfect and it actually to a space launch. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, so highly recommend that if uh, if you ever get an opportunity to do that too. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's really crazy uh, overall. Uh, I, again, getting back to the top fuel things, I do love the. I don't know if you've ever seen one, Chris. They have like reactionary videos. Um, so I'm going to take my smartphone and tape you as you're sitting there watching your first set of fuel yeah. cars. And the expression on people's faces um, is, is pretty incredible. It's like getting punched in the chest. Uh, it's, and, I mean, Eric, I mean, you just told the perfect story. I mean, people don't – oh, you must be over-exaggerating and all the rest of it. It's like there's no way to really even begin to explain what it's like until you take somebody there. and. You know, it's funny, too, because when they do the burnouts, right, they're only running on one fuel pump, and they have the throttle stop on, and it's like, oh, that's not that loud. It's like, oh, just wait. <laughs> You'll see. Yep. And I will say I love the uh, I love the videos, too, of, uh, uh, of, you know, from watching the camera from pointed from the back of the car as they take off from the starting line, and you see the people go from this big to... That you know you can't see them anymore in in a heartbeat. It's incredible, um, which I found actually uh, it you know sort of sort of similar tangent. I, I found it interesting, Eric, that uh, doing some research on speakers that uh, sound waves coming out of speakers actually break the speed of sound at times. Um, no, you, you must have done some of the, you, you must have researched some of my patent work. <laughs> ah, <laughs> well, I was surprised. I was, 
Yeah, I was surprised to be reading some of that stuff. And yes, I did, by the way. Uh, you know, being the technical, the, the techno geek that I am, I had to uh, go digging a little deeper. But uh, um, I mean, how fast? I mean, how fast is our sound waves coming out of your your well, standard? It, it's um, yeah. The, the the switching would take place um, very quickly. The switching between speakers would would tra- take place very quickly. So here's a thought experiment. Um, the uh, the the funny car and, and the top fuel car from your perspective in the stands. Now, uh, do you mind if I get a little technical? For no, a no, absolutely. All right, okay. And there's a train, so that, yes. that's cool. Yeah, yeah, love it. Okay, because um, that, there's some great karma going on there. Um, <laughs> all right, so if I have a loudspeaker, um, if I have a loudspeaker. And or if there's a violinist on a stage and that person's playing the violin, that's a point source. And the sound that comes off of that is a um, is going to expand like a balloon. Just visualize the sound starting in the palm of your hand. And as that sound expands out, it's like a balloon blowing up. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it gets um, from the point of observation it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mentioned that, that, that I've got, uh, this weird career that I have drag racing and meshed in my audio. And so if we think of a, if we think of a top fuel car, um, from the, from the, from the perspective of the observer, that car accelerates at just enough of a speed that it, um, reinforces itself down the track. In other words, you're listening to a line array. You're listening to a, a, a constantly reinforced column of audio, of sound, the, in, the pistons popping. Um, visualize um, when lightning strikes. So when lightning strikes, there's of course there's thunder, and it's very intense because it's a, it's a sound source that's, um, that's, that's a very tall sound source. Um, highways have the same effect. So one of the reasons why dragsters, um, the top fuel cars, are so intense is because as they go down the track, they're reinforcing the sound. And so from the observer, the sound doesn't attenuate like a point source. It, it attenuates like a line source. So the intensity is naturally um, much, much higher. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's the things that, uh, you know, I guess as the audio file peon like I am, it's like, you know, as, as far as I've ever talked, taken uh, audio, uh, I guess, analysis out of the track is, uh, you know, you're standing a quarter mile away and, you know, you can see the... You can see the lights turn on the Christmas tree, and you can see the smoke come out of the exhaust pipes, but you don't hear the sound until, oh, I don't know what it is, a quarter or a second later, uh, however long mm-hmm. it takes. So that's as, that's as deep as I've ever gotten with regards to audio at the racetrack. Uh, it's interesting to think about. Uh, yeah. I guess. So here's another thought experiment for you. Let's say that, uh, let's say that we were in a city where there was a highway, and um, there was a we could go sit on a bench three miles away. So we're we're um, you know we're a thousand feet above the highway. And um, I tell you this because that's that's the scenario that I have here. We're on the Wasatch Front. I can go park. I can ride my bike a thousand feet above the highway. 
and be three miles from the highway. And because there's um, hundreds of cars simultaneously going down the highway, I can hear the road noise. Right. Okay. Now, there could be a man with his lawnmower a quarter mile away, and that's a point source. It's just one little lawnmower engine running, and I'll never hear it. And so that's the same that's the same observation. The other one would be when you go to the ocean. The ocean is so impressive because when the wave crashes, you're listening to a column of a horizontal sound source that might be oh. 100 yards long. And so it's very intense. Right, right. I would say so Chris is Chris is familiar with Utah, so I don't know if you heard the opening. Uh, so Chris has a background in uh, demolition derbies. Um, yeah, you know what I just took from 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 Eric's uh, uh, thought experiment. What's that? The, the fact that I got hit by a town in country in Wasatch. Oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs> what was that, Chris? I, what was that, Chris? I missed it. Yeah, I uh, we were at the we were at the Wasatch wipeout, which was uh, we stayed in Park City, and it was mm-hmm. the Wasatch wipeout, the county fairgrounds that they put in the big. Uh, uh, they got the big arena there. And they yeah. situated us at the at the center point of the track, so we had equal distance to left and right. Yeah. And um, Brad Bowman had a Cadillac, and he got a hold of the back of Brian Turner's Town and Country. It was a '68 Town and Country wagon, and he shoved him to the wall, and he hit the wall, and the brick or the uh, the, the Jersey barrier fell over. And Brad's not one to lift. He kept on pushing him, and the, the, the town and country went up in the air and then down, and the back end went up, and Brad kept pushing him, and he shoved him all the way to the stage where we were. And uh, I think I've seen the video. Have you used that as a highlight video? No, I haven't used it in a, as a highlight video. Somebody got hurt in that, so I really don't know. Oh, to, okay. A friend of ours um, ended up, because all of us panicked and got up and started right, to sure. backwards. One of our one of the people lost their balance and fell back into a chair that was over the top of one of my friend's fingers and blew the tip of her finger off and so it was a little a little harrowing i mean we were very fortunate because it was it was pipe and concrete behind us so we had no choice but right to go lateral right and no time to really even think about it at all it was it made for some great pictures but <laughs> <laughs> we ended up, <laughs> and did, did you uh were cameras i'm assuming you were there doing a live stream of it right, right? it happened live it happened live they red flagged the whole thing and, and so i had a picture of myself looking kind of with the corner of the monitor yeah, right here where you could see the camera from across the track. You see the back of Brad's car and the back of the wagon up in the air. Okay, like yeah. And the nose of the wagon right here. And it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? But we were very fortunate nobody got hurt. That could have been bad. But yeah, yeah, I know we're, uh, I'm, I'm familiar-ish with the area. With that area. Yeah. And is that, uh, that's all... So you'll have to excuse my ignorance, uh, Eric, because I am not really familiar with Utah at all. Utah is one of the uh, few states in the United States that I've never visited. Um, so is this uh, all, let's call it, you know, around the Great, Lo- Lake, uh, Great Salt Lake area? Well, it's uh, it runs about 100 miles long, and there's just, there's just a, a bench along the whole thing. And the, uh, so there's a mountain range to the east, and then... Um, everything's developed down below that and of course there's the great salt lake and utah lake and all that along there so now these uh, demolition derbies that's that's popular stuff man i i could give you all the towns and and uh that's uh in certain circles that's pretty cool stuff yeah we've we've worked uh a number of shows out there we were in wasatch we were in ogden a couple times 
Now, Eric, have you done anything with the or know people that compete in the demolition derbies at all? So I'm afraid to go fast. I'm certainly not going to get in a demolition <laughs> derby. Car. That's the uh, that's the that's the uh, the great redneck sport. I, I love that. We uh, my wife and I attend that regularly. So yeah, that's it's fun stuff. I will say it's funny. I had no uh, again being ignorant, no experience with real demolition derbies ever before meeting Chris and yeah when I thought of demolition derbies I always thought of your local county fair where you take your junk cars and uh, you go out and smash them up and then they go to the junkyard and that's it and then uh, um, you know it shouldn't surprise me Eric but uh, yeah then talking with Chris I come to find out that yeah they basically take uh uh, you know, high performance drag racing engines and transmissions and uh, reinforce them and they put them into uh, junk cars because there's money on the line to be won. Uh, junk cars anymore. Right. They're paying $3,500 for uh, a GM wagon shell. And, and where Eric lives, it is nothing to get a, a demolition derby. The feature winner takes home 25000 yeah, and that that to me again was just completely uh, foreign Thank to me. You. I'm like, you know what? It's really nice to go to a different motorsports show and have somebody say, you know what? It might not be as redneck as you think. Because <laughs> it, it, so, it is. It's nice. I mean, you know, we got this. We got this show on on Mondays, and you know, in September it's going to be seven years that we've had that show. Going. Yeah, yeah. And and we've we spent a lot of time trying to educate and and get word out and let people know that that these are personalities and these are these are rock stars of a particular sport that it, it's got a reputation but when you get up to the professional levels just like dirt track just like drag race oh, or sure. you get up to the professional levels yeah. they're professionals it's right i watched yeah. a dude take a fifteen thousand dollar engine and send the valves through the stacks and embed them in the roof of the storm Vale event center you know what i mean and and he still honed on it until there was no sparks left to throw <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, it's and you know, people. Some people will take this the wrong way, but I mean, it is literally the the true definition of ignorance. I mean, I just didn't know. Um, it wasn't that I was dumb. Um, I just didn't know. I mean, I just like I said, I assumed that demolition derby was your 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 local county fair, and that was it. Uh, but yeah, hanging around you, it, and and this is the thing about cars. I mean, as I think as a craftsman or whether you're a technician or a fabricator, you can generally appreciate whatever type of car or or vehicle or whatever it might be. It might not be for you, but you can still appreciate it. So, I mean, there's tons of paint jobs that, uh, I mean, I've, I'm thinking of, you know, the Southern California hydraulic lowriders, right? Sure. Um that car does nothing for me personally. I would never want to own one of those vehicles. But if you go and you look at the engineering and you look at the paint work that these guys put on these cars, They're over the it's and stuff. impressive stuff. Yeah. So I can appreciate the craftsmanship that goes into it. Now, is that my cup of tea? No, not my cup of tea at all. Um, would I ever go race demolition derby? Eh, maybe. I mean, kind of sounds a little fun to me, but probably not. But I mean, again, it's probably not my cup of tea. Um, but I can appreciate all of the work and time that these guys have put into it that, yeah, you just don't think about it. And and I know that we have talked about this before. Anytime that you basically have a race, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, if we're going to race, 
horses, buggies, carriages, Pinewood Derby, it doesn't matter. Um, guys become competitive. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, if I can interject here, these demolition derby cars, you know, that's a great uh, – those are prepped from headlight to taillight. They go over every inch of that car. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a, the, the certain wheel on it, the certain tire on it. Um, they're going to reinforce this, and they're going to they're going to push the rules all the way to the nth degree because there are very um, there are hard fast rules that you can't fudge. But uh, they're going to have the gear ratio they want, the engine they want. Um, they're going to hope and pray that that thing can run without a radiator for 15 minutes. Um, it's they're prepped and they they know what they're doing i've seen the guys that dominate in this uh in that arena and they really prep these cars you must not live too far from uh where they had the olympic moguls and downhill competition you too right no i would say the 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 olympics is every time yeah and when we went to we, we when we went to Wasatch, we drove not too far. I can't remember the name of the. I want to say it was. I want to say it was Park City, but I know that's not right. We went by the big Park Jordan. City, we went by the big Jordan Reservoir, and then where we went, you could see up on the mountain. Yeah. That's where they did the mogul competition when the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, were in Salt Lake. Oh. We we, went, we you went have Camus that has regular races, Camus, and uh, and then there's. Um, Oh my gosh, Heber! Yeah, Heber City. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't help you. I I know I know nothing. <laughs> I I had gotten away from the from the Derby side of things, and I was I was hung up on the Olympics there. So it's 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 all good. Well. I would say uh, at this point, Eric, we've had you uh, on the phone a little over an hour. We uh, we generally try to uh, run an hour. I, I mean, we could probably sit here and uh, you know talk about demolition derby and, and loudspeaker design and, and drag <laughs> racing for probably another couple hours. Uh, uh, but uh, certainly, with nothing else, we'd love to, I guess, have you back on the show before we uh, let you go tonight. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to touch on, or uh, anybody that you'd like to thank, or anything? like that well i i i think i'm good you know jason i'm i'm just grateful that you put this thing together and it's been interesting to um yeah so i just want to say thanks i i'm not sure who my audience is but uh it's been a it's been a delight it's been fun and uh would love to do it again and uh thanks Hey, well, it's our pleasure. I mean, certainly, you know, keep us, uh, you know, up to date as far as, you know, the, the racing when you get out. Uh, um, you know, I'll, I mean, now that we're friends on Facebook, I'll be, I'm sure, see the pictures when you go out to the track uh, when, you, when you're out there. So we can kind of keep uh, mm-hmm. touch base that way. Certainly for anybody that's uh, interested in a set of uh, nice speakers, be it a set of stereo speakers or home theater speakers, I would certainly encourage you to go to Tecton Design and uh, uh, check out Eric's work. Uh, and, you know, the, the nice thing is the fact that, you know, really they, you guys do have speakers, uh, anything down from, you know, let's call it the, the value end that anybody can afford, like myself, to, you know, super high end if you want to get into that type of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would certainly encourage everyone if you're, if you're interested in something like that, to, to check out your work cause, uh, it's pretty incredible. Well, thanks. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Jason. Absolutely, man. We look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank, Thank you, you, Eric. See you next time. Have a time. good night. All right. See take you. care. There goes 
Eric right. Alexander. Good, uh, good appearance. We appreciate him. Um, above all else, being patient with us. <laughs> so that we could, As we work through some technical issues. Yeah, there, uh, was, there, was a, there was a dose of that, wasn't there? Well, I mean, we got it. Uh, I thought it was, uh, I mean, seemed like the quality was good. Uh, it was a good show. He's an interesting guy. Uh, uh, Easily the smartest person I've ever interviewed. Uh, probably one of mine as well. Way uh, up there. Yeah. Way up there. Yeah, it's the type of thing I would... It's funny, you don't think about it when you think about speakers, right? You, you plug them in, they make sound. But uh, um, there's a lot that goes into it um, to, yeah, not only have the speaker make sound, but reproduce it accurately. And uh, well, that's... It's no different than a tough fuel car. It's not just as simple as hooking up a couple fuel lines and having to get loud. Right, right. You know, yeah. He made that comparison. I think it's pretty accurate. But, I mean, I will say, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to... Um, minimalize them but it's it's really the same when you think about you know we we take all of these conveniences modern conveniences that we have for granted uh, i mean uh, how a refrigerator works or you know, your dishwasher or whatever else it is when you really get down to it uh, you know some of these things have some pretty cool technology uh, um, embedded in them even though it's a it's a daily device that we walk by all the time and just take for granted but uh, i will say that uh I'm looking forward to getting my set of uh, Tecton speakers in my house. Uh, I can't wait. Right on. Well, is there a time frame for that yet? Um, so I know that uh, Eric had told me that he would be building them sometime in July. So There you go. I know he was busy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I had to place my order and kind of get on the waiting list. And, um, yeah, he had mentioned about playing at 147 dB or whatever it was with that one set of speakers. I won't be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping that I can uh, maybe up my game and uh, yeah, have a nice uh, concert in my uh, in my living room at times, even though my wife and children won't enjoy it. <laughs> well, it sounds good. Keep us posted. We'll be on the air well before then, right? Because uh, it's already I, July. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly hope that uh, we'll be on the air again uh, somewhat regularly at this point yeah. in time. Yeah, it looks uh, like things are going in the right direction for. Um, it's not. We've got more cases in Seneca County, Wayne County, Monroe County, Ontario County today. So I really don't. We'll we'll, we'll play it by ear. Uh, nice little speaker pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if people if people don't get bored of uh, listening to us, I mean, we could always uh, you know go back to doing the remote uh, the remote uh, uh, podcast like we were. They they're not quite as good, in my opinion, as uh, when we're in studio. Not the same. But it's just not uh, the same. yeah, but. Hey, we'll uh, we'll figure something out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll see you guys, uh, everybody, in two weeks again. And uh, I don't know who the guest is going to be, but we'll figure something out. Sounds good. We'll see everybody then. Uh oh, won't play. There it goes. See everybody later. This has been the final round drag racing podcast, coming to you live from the FingerLakesOne.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. We'll see you right back here again in two weeks. Thanks for watching. <laughs>